Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Dorian Linsky. Every year since 1935, the American Legion has organised summer camps for high school students to learn about American government by forming their own political parties and state legislatures. Uh, Most states, the students are divided into a boy state and a girl state. Famous alumni include Bill Clinton and Dick Cheney. Two years ago, filmmakers Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain documented the boy state in Austin, Texas. The resulting film, called Boy State, won the Grand Jury Documentary Prize at Sundance in January, is now on Apple+. It's a fascinating study of how America's political divides manifest among people who are too young to vote. If you're burned out on CNN election coverage, it's perfect alternative uh, political viewing. Jesse and Amanda are joining me from the US. Hi, thanks for talking to me. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, thanks for having us. So the climax of the film is the nail-biting election for state governor, the results of which I will not reveal, which I found was good psychological preparation for the presidential election. Have you been glued to the TV these past few days? That would be an understatement. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's all consuming. Uh, I mean, we're we're on the edge of our seats here. I mean, I feel, uh, I, I don't think anybody knows what to say to each other. But yeah, I mean, also processing it through the prism of, of this film, too, um, not to be self-centered about it, but we, we spend so much time talking about these issues of polarization and division in America. Uh, we're, we're, we're living them, we're trapped in them. And, you know, also trying to have a conversation that's not about Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, maybe that's something to look forward to. So in 2017, the Texas Boy State made national news for voting to secede from the union. Was that the thing that kind of that made you think that there was a, a movie here? Or is this a kind of phenomenon, the boys, that you've been sort of tracking for a while? That's right. We read an article about that secession vote actually in the Washington Post because it, it had made national news. It was such a scandal locally in Texas, I guess. Um, the Washington Post got wind of it. And it was, I think, in all of the years the program has been going on, and it's an old program, it's been going on since the 30s. So in all those years, I don't think anybody in Texas had voted to secede before. So it was definitely a sign of something. And it, it struck us as both, you know, 17-year-olds um, acting out. And, and because neither Jesse or I had been through Boys or Girls State, it was a way we learned about the program, which struck us, but also pointed to something more profound, really, about what the national mood was then, and certainly is even more so now, um, and also as a space, like as you said earlier, that we could go explore that wasn't exactly, it was sort of a sideways approach to this issue, these issues of polarization we wanted to explore, but just are having a hard time taking in all the national news. And you start the movie with a teacher reading from Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, uh, in which he says, America in the 80s was more like Brave New World than 1984. Why did you choose to set up the film with that passage? What idea, did I suppose, did you want to set up? I mean, I think that it was important to signal to our audience. I mean, we're, we're, we're about to tell a story set in essentially a summer camp of 17-year-old boys in Texas, which you could dismiss. I think we wanted to frame the the story, the conversation as being about something larger, in part by by prefacing the film with the quote from George Washington about the vulnerability of our our democracy and um, the, the party system. But I think that that conversation about the threat to democracy is um, maybe for those who didn't expect an intelligent conversation, I think signals that there's something deeper going on here. There was a scene that we knew we loved, um, and it's it's a slightly out of character for the rest of the film in that it's it's a teacher in a classroom talking to these young men. 
but I think, and, and it sort of bounced around in the edit room. We weren't sure where, where it should fall because it doesn't really drive the story forward. We do see one of our subjects, Robert, listening. I think ultimately we, we recognize that it was a powerful sort of framing moment in that these young men are receiving an important lesson about their democracy, about electoral politics, about the system that they've grown up in and are inheriting, and that it is under a kind of existential threat. And maybe not the threats that they or we imagined initially, but I think we've come to recognize as um, sort of fully embodied in the administration of Donald Trump. And you've got these extremely compelling main characters. I just want to sort of set it up for people who haven't seen it yet. You've got these sort of fairly empathetic liberals, Stephen Garza and Rene Otero in the Nationalist Party, because they're randomly assigned to these two parties, and conservatives Ben Feinstein and Eddie Conti on the Federalist side. Now, Anthony Lane, I noticed in his, his very glowing New Yorker review, um, asked, did McBain and Moss get lucky? Did they track innumerable boys, perhaps, and pluck out the successful ones from a writhing mass of footage? And now I can I, I can ask you that. <laughs> Was it how how did you alight and how early did you alight on these kind of key characters? That was, I think, the great kind of challenge of this film. We knew it would be because there's 1,100 kids who head to this program every summer. So we knew we needed to narrow that down a little. <laughs> and uh, because the, the event itself is so fast paced, we knew we also were going to struggle if we tried to cast on the fly. And so we spent about three and a half months prior to the event searching for these people we were going to immerse ourselves with, you know, from six in the morning until 11 o'clock at night, we needed, we need, we needed to find the right folks to do that with. And that meant talking to a lot of people and meeting a lot of people. Uh, As I said, it took about three months and we went to Texas, we filmed kids in their living rooms. We talked to them on the phone. We met their families. We met their siblings. We went to their ranches. We listened to them play harp. We did. I mean, it was, we met so many interesting people in a way that portrait of Texas we got in that period of time could have been its own film. At some point we found our guys. And I think really what we were looking for was this range of obviously political viewpoints. We wanted people uh, who leaned both ways, but we also needed them to be very politically savvy because we wanted them them to have a chance of doing well in the program. We wanted them to be ambitious and want to run for governor and all of that. But we also needed them to be good film characters. And that means that they need to be comfortable on the camera and they needed also to be sort of comfortable in themselves enough that um, they were vulnerable to op- open to change because ideally you want to find people, you want to film them at a moment of transformation in their lives. And we'd heard this program could be a crucible for some of these kids. And uh, I think we, we ended up finding the ones that, that that is true for. But I think to address what Anthony Lane raises is we, we did get lucky. I mean, you do get lucky when you make unscripted films. You have to get lucky to make a good one. Uh, and I think we also relied on, on our instincts of who makes a good film character. Um, And that's from doing this kind of documentary work for a long time. And it really is intuition to a large degree. And then taking a risk and just kind of pushing all of your chips onto the table and and seeing what happens. Rene at one point calls Boys State uh, a conservative indoctrination camp. And he's sort of, you know, he's sort of studying the enemy from the inside. I mean, it didn't look like, even though it is split into these two parties, generally, it didn't look like a kind of 50-50 
you know, conservative liberal split. How far did it lean uh, towards conservatives? Well, that's right. It looks a little bit more like the U.S. Senate, which is to say it's not representative of the country. It's largely white, largely, well, it's all male, and it's largely conservative. And I think that in part, um, it does not reflect the diversity of Texas today. It's unrepresentative. But but our democracy is at the moment also not representative. And, and, and to that degree, it is a fair represent, representation of what we're living with. And for someone like Renee, who's coming into this system uh, African-American, progressive politically, trying to make his way and find power within the system that has kind of worked to keep him out. I think we see a kind of metaphor for the larger political struggle that we've been engaged in in this country forever, particularly now, I think, acutely. And so I think Rene is confronting a system that does not look like him. I think what's surprising is that he actually finds a way to to connect with that electorate. We didn't expect someone like Rene to do well, to succeed there. Um, and that was actually, I think, one of the great surprises of the story we tell. I, I mean, I think that the, the program you see kind of reflects an old-fashioned America too. It's the, the boy state, the American Legion, like feels like it has one foot in the 1950s and one foot in the 21st century. And it's a very uneasy kind of straddle. But I think that's what makes the experiment interesting. I mean, for us and to watch progressives, um, also Stephen Garza, um, the child of, of undocumented Mexican immigrants, also politically progressive. These two young men have to navigate this space, which you would not think would be receptive to them and their ideas. And it's not all pretty. I mean, that's what the film shows, but there is surprise. And I was really struck by this sort of intense uh, male energy. You know, there's there's some blatant talk of like dominance and submission. Is he, is, is this, do, do you think that this gender separation made any sense these days? I can understand, I could sort of understand it in, in the 1930s. Did it seem like a slightly sort of ar- archaic hangover? That you presume, and you know, I don't know what a girl state is like. Uh, maybe, you know, so maybe there's another film that will show me that. But it seemed to me that it would be much healthier if you if you if you just sort of merged. Well, Stephen says that in the film, and I think we all feel that. What about people state? And I think at some point they'll they'll merge. I'm can't wait. We're going to make the girl state film. Um, we're in process on that, and that'll be really interesting to see how that space is different or the same. You know, um, probably both. I think. What we hadn't totally thought through before making this film, we were so focused on questions of democracy and electoral politics that I think we hadn't really imagined before we got in there what an what an incredible window we actually had on boyhood and masculinity. And that space is um, not like any space I've ever been to, um, for sure, and probably never will again. And with, I think I brought a lot of expectations probably a failure of my own imagination about what I was going to see with, you know, a a very large group of 17 year olds. Um, I expected to see a kind of Lord of the Flies. I expected to see a kind of toxic masculinity and group think. And uh, I expected to be a little bit freaked out, honestly. And then when (laughs) I got there, I definitely saw a lot of that energy. But then the real surprise for me, and Jesse alluded to this earlier, was just kind of as the as the week progressed, you really start to see these connections and this kind of other style of masculinity really start to rise to the top. And that 
empathic leadership and that kind of serve others, not yourself. And that kind of connection that's based on one and one, like I'm listening to you, you're listening to me. The power of that is sort of undeniable. And the, the, the real power of watching this group kind of be summoned to their better selves was really extraordinary. And I can't, I just can't really believe how emotional it was the whole week. You know, you really, at the end, do see these deep connections made between people and actual tears. And I mean, just it's it's real and genuine. And that was a real surprise for me. It was useful. I think that we we ended up with a story that pits two candidates, two parties against each other who have very different ways of being young men. We have Stephen Garza, who is that empathic, compassionate listener um, who brings a message of unity against uh, Ben Feinstein, who leads the opposing party, who invokes military metaphor and sort of exaggerated strength when he talks about politics, shock and awe, combined arms warfare. I mean, you don't need to be you know, kind of brilliant to recognize that the parallels that we're living with in our own adult state politics in which candidates are kind of portraying exaggerated, in some cases, forms of masculine identity as a way of connecting with the electorate. I mean, that that is what we saw at Boy State play out. And and I think to see a candidate like Stephen, whose energy is inspiringly com- compassionate, uh, you know, and he's not... He, he, he doesn't strike out on day one. He finds a way to connect with people. I mean, because they're not, they're the Federalists and the Nationalists, and they're randomly assigned. So it's not Democrats and Republicans. And this, that, this sort of system reminded me of the, the sort of famous Robbers Cave experiment, where two groups of kids, boys were divided into two groups, then they became sworn enemies for no real reason, um, and developed all these sort of in-group, out-group uh, biases. And they sort of had to be taught to work together again. How did you notice, I suppose, how polarization works, even if it's not sort of deeply rooted, but if you if you just divide people into these two groups, they they very quickly develop a, a kind of an intense group identity? Oh, there's no question. I mean, some of the energy you see initially as these parties uh, are divided and then they begin to kind of form their cohesive identities, they they don't yet know what they stand for politically, and yet their tribal identity is is frightening. Uh, and I think you you feel um, instantly that 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 sort of the power of, of tribal identity kind of unmoored from anything else, which is is toxic, is frightening. And, you know, we feel that in a kind of contained dimension at Boise State, but it's very much there. And I think, you know, you you I mean, that's where I think an experiment and our, our, our follow up film with Girl State will be very interesting to look at, like to what extent they mirror like is that rooted in kind of male kind of developmental behavior, sort of hardwired in some sense, or, 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 you know, or to what extent is it a function of social conditioning and, or a function of kind of gender identity, sex identity? I don't know, but you, you do see that. It, it, I mean, the, the Federalists become the sworn enemies of the Nationalists on day one of the program. Uh, and they have to then fill, fill in the picture. You're right. And that's what makes this, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just an experiment with teenage boys in Texas, but it is a fascinating kind of laboratory to consider some of these questions that we do grapple with now in our national politics of tribalism that seem to kind of be unmoored from ideology, right? And there's a fascinating guy called Robert McDougall. He's like a character from a Richard Linklater movie. And obviously, you know, characters in Richard Linklater movies also from Austin. And he has a pro-life, pro-gun message that he doesn't actually believe in. Um, but he's very convincing because he knows it's effective. And in, in the point when you're interviewing and he goes, sometimes you can't win on what you believe in your heart. 
was that sort of cynicism at that age kind of depressing? He's a really interesting guy, Robert, because he struck us as he's one of the first kids we found in our um, casting process, I guess. Um, And I think that he on the surface looks like one thing and then sort of has all this dimension inside that surprises you in talking about this movie. I mean, we've all now been on talking about this movie with these guys for about a year and he really was feeling cynical about politics. He had gone to page in the Senate for a Republican Senator. I can't remember which one anyway. And he was feeling very much like polarization was such a problem that it really, you, he, he came into boy state just wanting to play the game and win. And really, I think for him and now hearing how he talks about the film and reflecting on it and having met Stephen and having competed against Stephen, he's really had this complete awakening, really, in the power of when politics, that politics at its best can really bring out the best in people. And I think to have that, to have a kid like that sort of go through that change from cynicism to hope is really also one of the great kind of journeys of the film um as much as Stephen finding his voice i think having someone like robert kind of i don't know i, I felt a parallel with him in myself and i think i suppose with this style of documentary you know you don't want to kind of weight it too heavily uh on one side but without sort of spoiling it, there are some dirty tricks involved at, at one point, um, and it gets very emotional. Is it sort of hard as documentary makers not to get, you know, sort of really emotionally invested, particularly when it comes down to an, uh, an election, you know, where one person wins and one person loses? Is it, is it hard not to be drawn to, to one side? I think you are drawn in. I mean, you're human and you, you're invested in these relationships. Um, we're not without politics. Um, we're not without emotion. I mean, I think... That's what actually makes your choices and your work interesting. And we don't, I don't try to, rem, I don't think we try to remove those things. I think that we, we wanted young men in this film who we didn't agree with politically. Um, some we do and some we don't, but, but we certainly made room for people whose politics we didn't align with, like Ben Feinstein, who you mentioned, who who's, reveres Ronald Reagan, has a Ronald Reagan, talking Ronald Reagan doll on his bookshelf, um, who told us when we were interviewing him, in the casting process that he knew how to make friends and he knew how to make enemies. And I thought what 17 year old boy talks about intentionally making enemies as a kind of strategic move. Fascinating, like a kind of Karl Rove at the age of 17. And we thought this kid has to be in this film. He's real. He, he's a, a double amputee. He's grown up with this disability. He, he, but you know, he has a kind of rugged individualism, which he clearly derives from Reagan's ideology and, uh, you know, he, he's just a kind of complicated kid. And we didn't know how well he'd do, but we thought he's got a pretty good chance of going far, just given how smart and charismatic he is. And indeed, he does become the head of, of, of the Federalist Party and, and um, squares off a, a, against uh, Stephen and practices dirty tricks and proudly. And, and I think that finding a, a character like, like Ben was um, and watching him work which is not one dimensional either. I mean, he, he was really successful at kind of corralling his unruly party uh, on issues around like a, a abortion that threatened to split the party apart. Um, but then also uh, you see in, at, towards the end of the film, uh, as the election builds to its climax, kind of a brilliant stroke 
um, that is underhanded, but I think really reflects how some people see politics as a game, win at all costs. And actually, Ben is not someone like Robert who undergoes a kind of moral reckoning at Boys State. Ben does not come to know himself in a profound way during that week, but actually he is someone in in the years that have followed as he's kind of, we've gotten two years further into the Trump administration and he's reckoned as as now a young man, kind of what are the larger costs as a society when you play politics that way? I think his moral awakening has come now, which has been fascinating. He's really disavowed his dirty tricks. And I don't want to spoil those tricks for audiences who haven't seen the film, but it's really fascinating. It's 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 actually quite nuanced how he works and how he how he challenges Rene Otero, who leads the opposing party, and Rene's legitimacy. I mean, in, in ways that echo Trump's own challenge against Obama when he was beginning his political candidacy of pre twenty sixteen and sort of you know a kind of race baiting. And I mean, it's, Eddie is a is a big Ben Shapiro fan, but but Trump in the in the sort of final edit um, isn't doesn't come up. I can't remember. If he comes at all, and he doesn't come up as much as you might expect. Was that was that sort of deliberate that you didn't you didn't want him to be such a sort of an explicit presence in the movie? It's actually interesting that at the program we didn't really even hear his name that much. I think that the whole idea of the simulation is really to kind of get outside of that as much as possible. Of course, it does creep in; it's internalized, right? But uh, and that's part of what we were exploring. Ben does bring it up at the end of the film. I mean, I think that you have to be really careful every time you evoke that word, really, because it's like a drop of dye and your entire you know, pool of water will turn that color. And so I think it's a, it's a very potent word. You have to be very careful um, in telling any story. And frankly, I really think this question of polarization is not regardless of who who wins this divide that we have this polarization that we have this you know is is not going anywhere anytime soon even if um regardless of who wins did you come away thinking that the that these programs um you know set up with a certain sort of a certain kind of 1930s sort of idealism about political participation do you think that they are uh, actually useful do they give you know, students a kind of better understanding uh, of the system? I Well, we're not here to endorse the program. I mean, the program exists. It's deeply woven through the fabric of American life and has been for 80 years. And I, I do believe that they're trying to kind of change it to reflect America today. They have a lot of work to do. They may never get there. We also kind of believe as filmmakers to just, you know, we could confront the world as it is. I think we like to imagine a, a better future, and we see in the film someone like Stephen who, who embodies that. I do think what's incredibly valuable about the program is it does create a space for young people whose politics are very different to actually get together in the same room and try to talk to each other. And whether we have that in the form of boy state and girl state and people state or some other kinds of programs, I think we all recognize that the siloing um, of the world through social media and the reinforcement of our, you know, cultural, political, social views um, has kind of contributed to the, to the, the wedging of, of the polarization of, of our country. And I think that, I think civic education that takes the, the, the practice of democracy out of the classroom and gives young people 
a chance to kind of take on these identities as political actors, moral actors, um, allow them to make mistakes. I think that's really valuable. I think there may be a better way to do this. And there are other kinds of programs in America that offer forms of this kind of civic education. I think we love that in, in Boy State, in Texas, at least, they really trust the boys to go off the rails and then find their way back onto the <laughs> rail, if you will. And, and I think kind of trusting young people, um, letting them make mistakes is really valuable. So I think those are some of the lessons I draw from Boy State more than like, you know, it's the right thing for everybody or, you know, yeah. Sure. So how, and so, and, and with Girls State, presumably, I mean, is, are you just hoping that that will be, um, that will be back in action next summer? Right. Well, that is the big question mark um, for us. And uh, we'll just prepare. And if we can't shoot next summer, we'll shoot the summer after. I think one of the really interesting facts of boys state and girls state in every state, at least all the ones we've talked to, is that it really is, as Jesse said, a space where these kids who are from such different parts of whatever given state uh, have, are, are coming together and possibly meeting each other for the first time. You know, kids from deep rural Texas, town of like 2000, are coming in and uh, having to form a party together with um, someone from, you know, whatever urban center. So I think that conversation, even just, you know, whatever that conversation is, as fraught as it may be, even just having the experience of having that conversation, meeting that person, they now have a name and a face is very powerful. Um, and we saw that happen over and over at Boy State. And I imagine that will definitely be true with Girl State as well. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. Thanks, Dorian. Appreciate it. Um, and Boy State is currently streaming on Apple Plus. I strong, strongly recommend it. Uh, sort of, I kind of, uh, we watched it before the election, but I kind of uh, want to see it after the election now that my head is just full of politics and John King from CNN pointing at his map. There's a new Bunker Daily every weekday except Tuesday when we have the full panel show. Take care and see you soon. The Bunker Daily was presented by Dorian Linsky. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. And audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>